Hey, I'm Lisa, and welcome to In Pursuit. This episode is a part of the On Air series. On Air is a series featuring other podcast hosts, and the whole meaning is to present the person behind the microphone. There are so many interesting and unique podcasts out there and new ones emerging every single day. Behind every neat idea is a really cool person and a story as to why they built this platform and why they do what they do. There is a mantra that they follow, there is a sort of outline that they integrate in each and every episode, and my motive is to understand why and understand how they came to this position. I'm grateful to sit down with these people and understand their stories and maybe see the overlaps with my own. But today in particular, I was joined with Gabby Denicio, and she is a fellow podcast host. Her podcast is 20-something Trials, and she's also a English teacher. She teaches high school English, and so she just spoke about her journey sort of going into that and going from an English and journalism major who was entirely against teaching to being a teacher, a young one at that too. She's 23, and she goes through all these experiences, but the whole idea behind today's podcast from my perspective is living life unfiltered and living in a way that is not edited all the time and you don't have to hold yourself back if you want to speak up or say something that is injustice and something that is not right in the setting that you are in. I decided to call this episode The Real and the Unfiltered because that is what she is really striving for and striving to show her followers and striving to show the people who look up to her. And she just speaks to the comparison that we have in today's society because of how people post the best parts of their lives. And that is not what she does. And I think it's amazing and it's unique. And it's a great way to just break that wall of having to post just the best parts of your life. And so because of that, I decided not to edit this episode. Actually, I listened through it again and I absolutely love it. And I usually just go in and edit out some ums and buts and pauses and try to make it seem perfect and I try to make my questions sound seamless but in reality I have a lot of pauses and sometimes the speaker says um and that's just how we talk and that's just how it is and so in that because this is a raw real unfiltered episode I'm giving you the raw and real unfiltered content so I hope you enjoyed today's message there are so many takeaways from Gabby and I absolutely loved getting to sit down with her. It was such an amazing conversation. So I hope you enjoy it and let me know what you think on my most recent post. Hello, Gabby. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for coming on. And do you want to start off by just introducing yourself and who you are? Sure. So my name is Gabby Denicio. Um, the the real job that I have, I joke, I'm a high school English teacher. So I teach ninth and tenth grade at a school in South Carolina, and then I also host a podcast called Twenty Something Trials, which is just all about navigating life in your twenties, and it's really expanded more so into navigating what it means to be a woman and all of the things that we go through, really regardless of what age you are. Um, in addition to that. You know, I'm a super active person. I love being outside. Um, I'm a, an avid reader and writer. So those are a few of the non-work things that I, I really enjoy doing. What has your um, favorite outdoor activity been through quarantine? As silly as it sounds, and it makes me sound like my mother, I've really enjoyed just walking. Like I'm not a runner. I will say that till the day I die. Like I do not run. I hate it. I tried like in high school, you know, I cheered. And so we always had to do the stupid mile. And so the competitive nature in me was to always be like the fastest on the mile, but it's just not me. I'm five foot. I've got stumps for legs. Like I'm just not a runner. Um, so my, I've been walking a lot and I reconnected with one of my really good friends from high school. And so I recently moved out of my parents' house and uh, she was living at home. She's getting her MBA. And so we would, it was cute. We would like meet up in the middle, like how we used to when we were like 14 and we would walk the neighborhood together. We take the dogs. Um, and so now that I've moved, there's a really beautiful, I'm pointing like you can see me, a really beautiful like walking trail. 
So it's just been good for my mental health to like get out of the house. Um, so yeah, I sound like an 80 year old woman, but walking has been my favorite outdoor activity lately. <laughs> yes, for sure. And coming out of high school and into undergrad, did you always think you were going to be a teacher? No, 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 no. I, um, it's, it's kind of a, it's a longer story. Do you want the long version or the short version? The long version. Okay. So when I was 14, I, I've always loved writing, right? And so I, I kind of preface that in my intro, but more so when I was in, you know, elementary school, even like I just always gravitated more towards the creative prompts. Um, I went to most of my elementary school I did in Florida. And so at the time they had this big writing test and uh, I loved it. Like I was like that kid that like geeked out and I would get super excited for the prompt. I don't think they do it anymore. I mean, I, I don't think schools value writing, which I could go on and on about. But mm-hmm. um, so anyway, I always just had a knack for it. And as I got older, I realized, okay, I suck at math. I hate science. Like I really just gravitated more towards English and writing and history. And so in high school, I started writing for the school newspaper, which like in retrospect, it sounds like so dorky, but um, I really enjoyed it. I loved the the interviewing part. I loved connecting with different students. It also got me like cool ins with like the admin team because I could be like, hey, Gabby Denisio, journalist, you know, all that BS. And so um, I was like, wow, I could make a career out of this. You know, I could talk and I have, a, I'm like, my boyfriend always jokes that I'm able to get like everything out of somebody. So I think I'm like a delicate interrogator at my heart. So anyway, so I get to college and, um, you know, where I went to UNCW. So it's university of North Carolina at Wilmington for those of you who are not East coast. And, um, so I went to Wilmington and I swear it was my saving grace that Wilmington did not have a journalism major. Um, they just had a minor. So I ended up majoring in English and I minored in journalism always with the intent that I was going to be a journalist. I was always going to write for Cosmopolitan or Women's Health. Like that was my goal. And um, it was my junior year. I had my first internship and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I was like, okay, I'm, so I was writing for a publication in Wrightsville Beach. um, And it's a very affluent family-based area. That was the beach closest to Wilmington. And so I was like, okay, maybe it's just the demographic that I'm not clicking with. Maybe it's just the genre of writing, like the stuff they want to hear about, I don't really care to write about. So I was like, I kind of tossed it up to that. I was like, let me try again. So I go to a different magazine in my hometown, not my hometown, but like in Charlotte. Same kind of thoughts starting to come up of, all right, I really like my coworkers. I like the environment, but oh my God, I cannot sit in a cubicle and not talk to anybody for eight hours. That was a really difficult part for me. And um, I remember driving. So at this point, it's the summer of my senior year when I have this second internship. I remember driving into the office one day and just calling my boyfriend and just crying. I just did not want to go in. And I think there were so many other layers to it of like this thing that I had worked on since I was really 14 and the thing that I have loved since I was a kid wasn't panning out to be the thing that I thought I had really wanted as now the 22 year old. And I really struggled with that idea of I had set myself up for this plan for years and years and years without ever thinking that, okay, I might evolve into a different person. My ideas and thoughts really might pivot and change as I get older and learn more about myself. And, you know, all of these things that happen, I think when you hit college, you just really transform into a different person. And, um, I was devastated and I was also clueless because as much as I wanted this plan, I had had a plan, right? I was, I'm, I've always been a planner. Um, It's like the type A psychopath in me. And so I remember sitting, you know, a few months later after this internship had ended, I remember sitting in a coffee shop and again, just like really kind of breaking down of, oh my gosh, what do I do next? Like, what is this next plan? What am I not, what am I not tapping into? And um, I ended up like, going to pen and paper and just writing down basically the things that I had not liked about my internship, 
the qualities that I hadn't used that I wanted to use and everything came back to teaching. And so I, you know, I moved back home and I had reached out. I had great relationships with my high school English teachers. I joke that like I was closer to them than I was with friends. Like they, a lot of them were just like my saving grace in school. Um, and so I reached out, basically I put them in a group chat and was like, hi guys. Um, so I'm clueless. I really don't know what I want to do. Can I just come like observe your classroom and be like a fly on the wall? And they were like, duh, like, come on, come on. And I was like, oh, dope. Okay. All right, let's do this. So I went in and, um, the one teacher I worked primarily with, she was my ninth grade and my 11th grade English teacher. And she was, she's just wonderful. Um, she'll always be like, she'll be at my wedding. She's just, she's such a mentor to me. She has been since I was a kid. And so I remember she had an AP English class and then she had like a CPA. So think about it. You had like the really smart go-getters academically focused. And then you have the kids who do not want to be there. So I really got to see both worlds and I loved it. I loved both sides. I loved the personality that came out with the kids who didn't want to be there. I loved getting to resonate with them and just connect with them. And then I loved having the the deep academic conversations with the older kids. And I remember she, she really let me teach. She let me really try my hat at it. And so I was in the middle of a lesson and I remember having a conversation with them and just thinking, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is it. I have finally figured out what I want to do. And it was the biggest sigh of relief. And now I should also preface too that when I was in high school, um, I did have a few teachers who were like, you should look into teaching. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Do not want to do this. Like, look at what you get paid. Look at the, am I allowed to curse on your podcast? <laughs> okay. Look at the shit that you go through. Like these kids can be awful. And mm. I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that, which is so ironic to me because it's like everything that I said I didn't want and I wasn't going to do, I'm doing. So <laughs> it, that's the long version of it, but it was a lot of trial and error. And it was the, the, willingness for these women to let me into their classrooms again as a, as an adult, not just as a kid anymore. And so I am so grateful to them for giving me that chance to see if like this was something that I would be interested in. So I'm entering my second year now, um, in the middle of COVID, which, you know, we chatted about a little bit before we recorded, which is weird, but nonetheless, like I am so excited to just see kids again, like to be around my, my, I guess they're my big kids, but, and most of them are taller than me, but I, I'm really looking forward to just getting to really put that teacher hat back on and just be with them. And so that, that is the long version of no, I, I never thought I was going to be teaching, but I, I love what I do. What was the reality of kind of your initial concerns and the initial things that pushed you away from the profession and that versus what did you actually encounter, especially during yeah. your first year? Yeah. So if any of you guys listening want to be teachers, everybody told me that the first year is the hardest. And they always told me, like I had a woman tell me that she cried every day. Like you get a lot of scary stories. I did not have that experience. The year was super hard. I mean, I will not sugarcoat that. I learned so much and I, you learn a lot through failing. And that's just, that's anything that's new, right? And so um, the hardest thing for me was not being, I was, I'm a good teacher, right? I don't want to say that, but the hardest thing for me was not, knowing everything. And I really just had to adopt this idea of, I don't know what I don't know. And that's it. And leave it at that. And there are seasoned professionals around me who I can seek out if I need help. So that was really difficult was stepping into this new world. And right. I mean, you interchange teaching with any career that you're new at, and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot at first. I think with teaching, then you throw in your clients, right? I like to, every time you can compare it to corporate, it's very interesting because my, my clients were 14 and 15 and were a total pain in the ass at times. Like they were great kids. I love them, but they were hard work at times. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that I learned is, so I, I didn't study education. Um, 
And so what I'm doing now is called an alternative licensure to get my teaching license. I actually just passed my first big test. So I'm like, yeah, so, oh my God, I got those test results. I was like, oh, thank you, God. So um, now I'm, I'm in a different process towards getting that licensure. But anyway, so I say a lot that had I taken education courses at Wilmington, I really don't know how much they would have prepared me for it because, I mean, I've had kids have panic attacks in my classroom. I've had kids start a fight in my classroom. Like there are things, there's like not a section in a textbook that says like what to do when kids get mad at each other and try to punch each other, right? What to do when a kid has a major meltdown and passes out in your class. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that you don't think of that will happen. And when these things happen, you immediately, like the, the teacher role is part psychologist, part mom, part nurturer, part kick you in the butt. I, I mean, I, there's so many different roles that I play throughout the day, whether it was my baby got her heart broken for the first time. And so she comes and see, which those are the coolest moments where it's, you could have gone to anybody in that school and you chose to come to me and to just be that listening ear and to just try to tell them that like, you've been there and you get it, but I promise it's going to be okay. And just being that sense of, of reassurance to a kid. So I think what I've learned is as much as I love English and I love teaching, it's the connections that you form with them. Um, and it's the part of their lives that you get to be a part of. And I don't think I realized the impact that my teachers really had until I became a teacher. And I realized mm -hmm. that so much of the woman that I had become and the teacher that I had become, I had taken the best parts of them and then tried to mold it into my teaching practice. And it's been a really full circle moment for me, but that is to say, you know, teaching is not glamorous, right? The pay is not glamorous. Um, I've had, like I said, I've, I've cried my fair share. I've had kids say horrible things to me and walk out of the classroom. I've had, um, I had a girl tell me that she wanted to get out of my class because, um, I was too young to teach her, which I was like, um, well, you're failing my class. So I don't think that has anything with me being young. I think that's you and your attitude and we need to check it. Um, so you get situations like that, especially as a young teacher, because they test you. They want to see what you're willing to put up with and what you're not. And so the thing that's been really difficult for me is my nature is nurturing. My nature is to fix and bring everybody together. And some kids do not need that. Some kids need to be told to sit in their place and figure it out and just shut up. And so that was really difficult was putting on the like, not the mean hat, but like the strict hat, which I never had to do before. Um, but now, you know, as I've, as I'm learning and as I'm entering the second year, there's so many things that I'm going to do different. And that's the beauty of it is every, for me, every four months I get new kids. I get a new start. It's a fresh start for me. And every four months I'm learning something new and I'm changing things and I'm adapting things. So there's a lot of beauty in that as well. Yeah. How did those challenges kind of affect you as a person and as a person emerging mm. into this yeah. field? And like, did you ever kind of question your position and where you were? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really great question. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think back to a certain moment where I was, I was at the gym one day and I had a kid who I had been informed. Um, I, had, I had a little bit of a rough group of kids. I had kids who came from some pretty bad homes. I had kids who had some pretty severe mental issues. And um, that was really difficult because a lot of it I didn't find out until later. Um, and so I would absolutely carry things home with me. I remember being at the gym one day and just immediate, I was in like a group fitness class. Remember those days, right? Pre-COVID. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, does he have food? Is he okay? Is he being hurt? Like my mind just, I could not disconnect it. Um, and that's difficult. And, you know, especially like I had a handful of kids that I would make lunches for. So, you know, while I'm making my lunch for the next day, I'm making a few other lunches. And so you're constantly thinking about them and that's, that's the really difficult part is being able to disconnect and focus on, you know, Gabby, the person, not Gabby, the teacher, and making sure that I'm filling up that cup 
you know, in order for the teacher part of me to, to be there and present. And, um, so that, that's really difficult at times. And, um, it's hard, it's hard because I think one of the biggest flaws in the education system and, um, you know, if, if anybody else in education is listening to this and this is just my experience, that's wonderful. Um, but I found that the counselors and the teachers weren't always on the same page. Like there was a lot of information. I think it was important to divulge to me. Like, I think I should have known that I had two kids in DSS in my third period. I think it's important that I knew what their home lives look like because the way that I treat a kid who has two very supportive families at home is going to be very different than I treat a kid who is in and out of the foster care system because he needs me in a different capacity than he or she does. Right. And so I, that's where that journalism side of me comes out is I do the digging and I make sure that I now have a good understanding of where my kids come from because that entirely dictates my lessons. As silly as that sounds, I need to be able to connect with them. And if I'm not able to do that, what's the point of me being in front of them? Right. So that's been one thing that I've really changed too. is like, I let that investigative pushy side of me come out when it comes to figuring out who they are, which I'm sure they can't stand, but it helps us all in the long run. Uh, but that's a big challenge is, is just disconnecting. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. And uh, just you wanting to be there for them in all different aspects of life. Like that story of you preparing lunches for them is so incredible. Yeah. So it, it definitely is understandable that you're going to be a different teacher, Gabby, towards one student as you are for someone else, depending on their situations. But I absolutely love that. Yeah. I wanted to ask how your English and a journalism background has integrated. Of course, you're an English teacher, but mm-hmm. um, I like how you said that you don't think teaching classes would have really prepared you well for the field. So how do you see more of your English and journalism side coming out in ways that you might have not expected? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is skill-based. And I will be the first to say, and I think this makes me like the worst English major and English teacher, I don't like the old literature that we read. The canon, if you're not familiar with what the canon is, it's basically a bunch of white dudes who we still read and they're all dead. And 14 and 15-year-olds and 23-year-olds I struggle to connect with it. So one of the things that I'm very fortunate for is, and so the school that I'm teaching at is very open to changing up the literature and changing up the the quote unquote standard for these kids. So I bring in young adult literature. So where the English and the journalism background comes in is that willingness to learn a little bit more about what is actually out there for them um, and then be able to analyze it from a different lens of, okay, how can we talk about this from the social justice standpoint? How can we talk about this from your personal side? You know, if there's a specific book that I read with them that is really heavy at times. And so we talk a lot about over and covert racism. Um, we talk a lot about what it means to be stereotyped and what, what white privilege is. And, you know, I'm a white woman teaching these things. So it really forces me to step out of my experience and bring in the experience of, of other men and women who have experienced these things while also sharing like my experience of this is what privilege looks like to me, right? And being able to have those conversations with kids is crucial. And I always say to them, if we can't have these, these conversations in a classroom, I am not comfortable sending you outside of my classroom to have these conversations with family members or friends or colleagues one day. And so I think so much of what I learned in my classes is the connection that is so crucial to make from classroom to real world. And I think a lot of time that's where we, we fail as teachers is not facilitating that connection. And so my biggest, my biggest motive is to let them see themselves in the stuff that we read, but also take it a step further and apply it to the world that they live in today. Um, so it really is the skills, right? It's the critical thinking. It's the ability to analyze. It's that willingness to push for, for hard conversations and to get the truth from them out. And um, 
really, I mean, making sure, like I said, that they can look at their classmate and, you know, we, we read a piece where in it, it says, I respectfully, but firmly disagree. And that's my favorite. And I like, I like reading that with them to say, like, you can look at me and not agree with what I'm saying. Just because I'm the teacher doesn't mean you have to agree with me. Are you going to act a fool and call me out for it? No, you're going to look at me and say, okay, well, I respectfully, but I firmly disagree with you and here's why. And so I try to make sure that they are set up for the real world to go out there and have different opinions and have their own voices and use their own voices. And that, I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day is making sure that my kids are not just moving on to English two or English three, but that they are learning how to have hard conversations, especially in the climate that we live in today. I think it's a major disservice not to have hard conversations with our kids because those kids become adults and those adults become leaders or parents. And so they need to understand how to facilitate these conversations. And if they don't, quite frankly, we're screwed. Mm. What text is that from that I respectfully but firmly disagree? Oh, it's a persuasion text. And of course, now that you're asking me about it, I cannot think of it. It's, um, it's like a, it's a two page, super short and to the point. And I, I, this is awful that I don't know this, but I say it, I give it to them just so that we can have that conversation. Like, we'll joke back and forth of, I respectfully, but firmly disagree, you know, on little things. And I've got to get the name of it, especially if there are other teachers listening. So I'll give that to you. Um, okay. I, I'm going to have to look it up, but yeah, it's, it's wonderful. No. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think so many people like, especially now being in college, kind of you see a bunch of people who aren't able to facilitate these conversations and aren't able to express themselves in a respectful way. And so mm -hmm. just like instilling that in your students is beautiful. And oh, thank you. I wanted to ask if you've ever received backlash either from like parents or other educators or people just around you who are like, why are you doing this? Especially yeah. in like the very um, sensitive climate that we're in. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate that I have not received backlash from parents or students. I've had coworkers say, you know, I don't really want to have these conversations with my kids. And that's fine. That's, 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 that's you, right? That's okay. That's not your comfort. My comfort is to go in there. I've got a golden mic and pencil earrings. Like I go hard when I teach, right? Like I am very animated. I'm very real with my kids. And I think it's also important that they see that like Miss Denicio, but they also see Gabby, right? Because it's important for them to realize that I am a human. Um, and so when we have these conversations, it allows that human connection. It, it kind of, you know, it doesn't take away my authority. That's never my intention, but it takes away a little bit of the, the wall in between teacher and student. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten pushback from not never admin, which I'm so grateful for, and never really my coworkers. It's just always been a, well, I don't really want to do that. Like that, I'm going to let someone else do that. And that's fine, but I'm going to be the someone else to do that, right? And that, that's just, that's my comfort. That, that's my comfort with teaching. Um, I also joke, I am a second year teacher, so I'm super naive still. So I wonder like, will 20 years in, will I be running from these conversations? I really hope not, but I think I, I'm just not jaded by the profession. Like you see so many teachers become, unfortunately, that I'm kind of willing to go in guns blazing and just figure it out with them. Okay. That is so amazing. So thank you for those conversations that you are having. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'd like to shift gears here and kind of talk about your podcast, 20-something Trials, and how did that all start and originate? How did it go from an idea to a tangible thing? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, I think this is where that journalism side comes up, was I was listening, I, I won't say the podcast I was listening to, but I was listening to a podcast with two girls, and I was like, I could do this. Like, they're not giving me anything. And they're so popular. Like I could totally do this and I could give value. That was my thought process was if they can do this, why can't I do this? And so I initially, the 20 something trials actually started with me and one of my girlfriends. And um, so I reached out to her and I was like, Hey, you want to do this? Like, you want to try it? We'll see how it goes. We rented studio space. It was like, let's just see what this is like. And we did a few episodes together and then 
um, she ended up moving, which was hard. I mean, she moved, she started a new job. Her life had totally shifted. So her priorities became very different, understandably. Um, and so we ended up just saying, you know what, like, let's, let's split that. That's okay. Right. It's okay that this isn't working anymore. So I took it and was like, all right, I love this. I need to pivot it. What do I do next? And so from there, rather than it being the two of us sitting down and having conversations, I shifted it from that interview style to, you know, bringing different women of all backgrounds on and, and having them share their story and talking about the real stuff that we as women go through. And, you know, it, it's been really awesome because I have learned so much from it. I have learned so much from these women who have come on the show, whether that is about how to negotiate for a higher salary or how to negotiate for what I want in a relationship. And, you know, there's been a lot of tangible skills that we talk about, which I absolutely love um, because it's those things that are not textbook, right? It's the things that we don't learn in high school or college. And if, you know, we don't have parents who openly talk about certain things, we are very naive to them. And so it's been a, a great form, I believe, and I think I'm biased, right? To, to be able to learn and grow as women and also just understand how important certain aspects of our life are and how to make sure that we are ultimately tapping into our potential and making sure that we are the best version of ourselves that we can be. I love that. And who has been your favorite guests thus far and maybe oh, most influential? That's such a hard question. I will say the, not the coolest guest, the coolest moment I've had was when, um, Renee Rouleau decided to uh, agree to come on the podcast because that was a shot in the dark. I, you know, she is a massive like skincare guru, CEO. And I was like, this chick is not going to come on my podcast. And when I got, I remember getting the confirmation and I just screamed. So I think that was a really cool moment because it was reaching for something that I, I thought was out of reach. And then realizing that like, okay, no, this, this could be a thing. Like she is interested. That's okay. Right. Like that's awesome. So that was a really cool moment. I think, oh, I can't pin it down to one guest because they've all been so great. I've learned, I've learned a lot, um, from Rosanna Glazer and Gina Knox in terms of finance. So Gina's episode, I don't know when this episode's going live, but in, at this moment, Gina's episode is not live, but part one and two of Rosanna's are, and it's all about money management and negotiating for your salary. And as for me, I hate numbers. I get very intimidated by it. So I never really dove into what it looks like to be like financially literate. And so this past year, I've really been learning and researching what it means, especially as a woman to be financially independent. Um, and so having them on and sharing their input and their wisdom was like game changing for me. So in terms of like what I've learned the most from, it's probably been the two of them. Okay. Well, I um, liked your episode on negotiating your salary. And I also yeah. really loved the one on body image. And mm. I think just like the, um, the both ends of the spectrum of lessons yeah. that you're teaching women is amazing. So, Oh, thank you. Yeah. The body image one was really great just because there's so much crap that we see online and there's so much, like I think back to when I was 14 and the messages that I was getting and they're horrible and they haven't changed. Mm -hmm. I think there's more women saying like, Hey, when I sit down, I have roles or Hey, like, uh, this is the size I am and I feel great and I'm strong and I'm, you know, healthy, but we're not done yet in terms of making sure that young women see what it means to be a normal, healthy woman. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I was, I was really grateful for Emma when she came on to that because it was a very open and honest conversation about just what it means to look at yourself and then compare it to somebody who is insta famous which is such crap right or who is on the cover of a magazine and so you know i'm i'm really grateful too for magazines like women health who you know they take out the bikini body like they have really eliminated a lot of the verbiage that is just so harmful to women and they promote strong healthy 
real girls. And I think that's so important. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I know you're very like, don't compare. And this is what the reality of things look like, especially with your most recent post. I think it was most recent with your boyfriend and just the reality of like being in a relationship. So I guess how has that sort of built through the years of just not wanting to compare and what are some other values that you really hold true to you and kind of um, illuminate through your platforms? Yeah. Oh, that's such a wonderful question. It's a deep, important question. So thank you for asking that. So I think, you know, for me, this idea of comparison came from comparing, spending a lot of my teenage years and college years looking at other women, whether they were even in my circle or so far out of my circle and realizing that when I got to know some of them, it was all bullshit what they were putting out there. And that was a big wake up call for me was to say, oh my gosh, I am consuming this media and they are putting out this perfect, beautiful image and it's not even real. Like they don't have a perfect relationship. She has XYZ going on behind closed doors. And we we're, we put out the good and the real. And I think that is so harmful because it does not show the stuff that we are actually going through. And so, you know, with the, the post that you're referring to, um, you know, there, that whole relationship goals thing, I think is such crap. And, you know, for me, when like, I am a big follower of Rachel Hollis, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's getting divorced and she had a freaking marriage podcast and she held marriage retreats. And it was such a slap in the face for me of, oh my gosh, I have been looking to these people for advice and thinking they had it all together and they just fell apart. And so it was a, it was a huge moment for me where I was like, I am done looking to other people for advice. Like get, that sounds bad. I'm done looking for people I don't know for advice, right? I'm done seeking out strangers on the internet to validate something or to make me feel a certain way. If I don't have it within me, nobody else is going to make me feel a different way. So with my boyfriend, you know, I am very vocal that we have had a rough go at times. Like we have, and I even said on that post, we've disappointed each other. We've really let each other down. We have screwed up, but we have fought for it and we've made it work. And so I think that's the thing that we don't talk about enough is the fact that relationships are really freaking hard when you are bringing two people together. And now in my case, Chase and I just moved in together. Like you are going to stumble and fall and fail. I mean, it's inevitable, right? But especially when you're dating, you are just learning the way that somebody works and functions and the things that, you know, he or she appreciates and values and, you know, learning that like, it's okay if you guys fight, right? I think there's a difference. Okay. Like, if you are fighting constantly and you are not fulfilled by the relationship and you don't mm -hmm. see yourself with that person, get out of there. That's a different story. But in a normal relationship, Chase and I got in a fight this morning. I mean, in a normal relationship, you're going to get in arguments. You're going to bicker. You're going to disagree. So don't tell me like that everything is great and perfect because it's not. And that was my thought process was how am I supposed to trust you and learn from you when you've been concealing this big part of your life or your relationship or your career. So that's where on, on my platform, you know, I really try to just put the real out there and say like, this sucks today. This is really hard today. You will very rarely see me like, I, there are so many times where I joke on Instagram stories. I'm like, I haven't brushed my hair this morning, but I just wanted to talk to you guys, right? Like little things like that where, you know, I don't ever want somebody to click on my feed or watch a story of me and think she's got it all together because it is so far from the truth, right? And none of us have it all together. I think that's the biggest lie of our whole lives is so-and-so just has it figured out and is super happy and content. I talk about all the time how I go to therapy. I am like, I have a, a oh my God, I'm going to screw the word up now that I'm like in the middle of it. But like, I'm on medication for anxiety. Like, I think we need to talk about that, that like, you know, my relationship is not perfect. I am on Prozac. Teaching is hard. Like, let's talk about the real stuff and get away from all this crap that has just like 
consumed our brains from, I know the time I was 14 was when Instagram came out. So it's just so harmful. And I think, you know, I take that role really seriously on the podcast and the same way I take it seriously in the classroom, you know, to say like, relationships are hard. Love is hard. This is hard. It's okay that it's hard. Right. And so my goal, the long winded response to you is just to say that like, I am so sick and tired of seeing the beauty and the glamour behind social media when it's like, are we not all evolved and smart enough yet to know that like, this is all bullshit, right? Like this is crap. You know that, right? Like this is crap. And so I think it's just so important that like we put that out there and acknowledge it. And so that's a lot of where the comparison, if you can't tell I'm very passionate about this because it, it has, it's really, it screwed me up. You know, it's, it's been really harmful to me. Um, and so I think to just repeat that cycle, if a 14 year old is looking at my feed and she thinks she's got it all together, what is that going to do to her? Nothing. Right. So that is my stance on comparison. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but I think in terms of just other values, like one of the things, and you'll see, I think a big theme with me, is like things that I wish I would have known earlier. Right. So, you know, I, I think about my high school self and I was, so trusting and I was so kind to everybody and I was, and I'm still trusting and I'm still a kind person, but I think there was a sense of naivete that I held in terms of if somebody is not treating you right, walk away, right? Whether that's a friendship or a relationship or a parent, like if you are not receiving what you need, it's okay to say that this isn't working for me. And one of the things that I really struggled with when I was younger was using my voice and speaking up for what I believed in and speaking up for what I wanted. Um, and so, you know, a, I say to my kids all the time, use your freaking voice. Like you need to speak up. I don't care if that's in the classroom. I mean, I hope it's not in the middle of me talking, but like if something's not working for you, use your voice. If you believe firmly about something, speak up. And I say all of that too, to also remind myself that if something isn't working in my life, Gab, you better speak up because nobody else is going to fix it. And so that's a really big part for me has just been like, I have a voice, right? Like literally biologically, whatever the right term is for that, I can speak. Some people can't. So I have this voice. I need to use it because it's a waste to just shut my mouth. And I think as women, we have been told that we are not to be vocal and that we are not to take up space. And I'm sorry, that just doesn't work for me anymore. Like. I'm good with being the loudest in the room. I'm good with like putting my thoughts out there, even if it's not the quote unquote traditional normal right thing. Um, and again, that's been of years of silencing myself and restricting myself. And so at this point now, you know, I'm only 23, but from 10 years ago, like the high school version of me, like that freshman version, a different person. And so I, I'm excited for what 33 year old version of me will look like. And I'm sure she's going to step on a lot of people's toes and, you know, but I think I, I just spent so much time trying to beat around the bush and be the nice girl that like, I'm done with it, you know? And I think as women, we are told to be nice and we're told to play it safe. And like, I don't, I just don't think that's the right message for ourselves and for the younger generations of girls and for women everywhere. I just, I don't think that's the right message. Yeah, definitely. And at times, or are there ever still times where you'll get anxious, maybe bringing something up or kind of bringing forth that unfiltered version of your opinion? And mm -hmm. how have you come to a point where you're able to break down those walls? How is that built through the years? And how did you get to where you are now? Because it yeah. sounds like it's been a journey. Oh, it, it totally has. Um, the hardest way for me to filter myself and like it's in the classroom. It a hundred percent is in the classroom because the, I don't, I think it's really important that when you are a teacher, like you are a constant for these kids. And if you are not giving them the authentic version of who you are, what's the point? you know, what, what's the point? Um, I'm very grateful that I've got a boyfriend who <laughs> we joke a lot of times, like I'm the first one to speak up against some type of like 
if there's an immediate injustice that happens around us, I'm the first one to be like, excuse me, you know? And so he'll joke a lot of the times, like I was in a sorority in college and we were at um, a formal and there was somebody that was very intoxicated and he was saying really hurtful things. And I like flip my hair back and I'm like, are you kidding me? And Chase rolls up his sleeves. He goes, you're going to say something. He's going to get pissed and I'm going to have to take care of it. I'm like, okay, so we're just like tag teaming it. Right. And he's like, no, like you have, I think he jokes, like I speak and then he's got to deal with the repercussions of it. (laughs) Um, But it's not a bad thing. I mean, nothing is ever, he's never had to like physically defend me. I mean, I can defend myself, but he's never had to like really step into it, but it's a joke between us. of like, you know, we were in Georgia and, you know, this is in the, the midst of COVID and people didn't have masks on. And I walked by this couple and I'm like, God, imagine not having like respect for basic humans. Right. And he was like, are you kidding? They, I mean, this couple was like, I'm five feet. This couple was easily like five, ten, six, three. I mean, he was like, what, what were you going to do if they talked back? And I was like, I didn't think that far. <laughs> so I, it's, it's really funny. Cause I think it's like over time, this restricted, like quiet version of me has just like been like full force where I probably am too much at time, right? Like I probably say things I really shouldn't at times. Um, I totally sidebarred your, your question. Um, but to go back to it, yeah, it's definitely hard because I'm still learning this version of myself. So I don't usually think far enough to think, okay, well, how are they going to take that? Right even in faculty meetings or in department chair meetings, like the school I'm at right now is a new school. And, you know, rather going in and thinking, well, I'm new, I don't have a voice, I shouldn't speak up. No, like I'm having struggles with X, Y, Z, I'm going to voice it and I'm going to ask for help. Um, And so I think that's been a big thing for me too, is like, I'm not going to sit in the corner and just like, let it happen to me. I'm going to try to fix it and speak up and seek out people who can help me. And that's in everything, right? That's professionally, romantically, in your personal life, right? There are people there to help you and speak up and ask for that help. I think that's a big thing that I've learned too. It's like, ask, ask for help, ask. It's okay. You know, it doesn't make you weak. It makes you really strong because you grow and you learn from it. Mm -hmm. And for that inner 14-year-old Gabby, if you could speak to her listening to this, what would you just really want her to take away? I think I would give her a hug. I'd give her a big hug. And I think I would just say like, one, you're good. Like you're going to be okay. You're going to figure it out. You're going to go through some shit, but you're strong and you're going to figure it out. And I think the thing I wish 14 year old Gabby would just have realized is like nobody else has the power to take things away or nobody else has the power to change who you are. And so given at 14, we're just trying to figure it out. But I I think more than anything, I wish 14 year old Gabby like would have looked inward rather than outward, like for that validation or for that, acceptance. Um, and I, <laughs> I joke with the, the girl that I told you about from high school. I've got, I've got words to say to some people at this point. Am I going to say them? No, because it doesn't do anything for me now. But I think, man, like if I was the person I am now, I would have not let people treat me the way that they did. And so of course now I don't let that happen. But you know, that younger version of me, I think we could have eliminated some hurt if I knew when to step up and when to speak up, but we're learning and that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. And on the other side of things, where do you see yourself in five and 10 years? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, any plan that I've had for my life has totally blown up in my face. <laughs> like if you would have asked me this 10, five years ago, I would have been in New York City working at Cosmo. I'm not doing that. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina with a really cool guy teaching kids that I freaking love. Um, so I don't know. I think, you know, 10 years, I would like to continue to grow the podcast. I would like to go back um, and get my master's, whatever that is in. I, I don't know yet what, but I see myself going back to pursue higher ed. Um, 
and maybe there's, you know, a baby or like a little, a little Gabby or a little Gabe. I don't know, whoever. <laughs> um, I know my parents that now, of course, they're like, no grandkids. No, thank you. But I think in 10 years, my mom is going to be like, <laughs> time's ticking girl. <laughs> but I do, I think that's one thing that I do see myself is, is being a mom. And I say that too, because like, I've had some really honest conversation with women who don't see that for themselves. And so I think it's okay to stop assuming that every woman wants to be a mom. Um, but for me, I do. I, I totally take that. I think I'm too nurturing and too much of like a mush to not have a little one one day. Um, and that, you know, that is of course, if I'm, I'm hopefully, you know, able and lucky enough to have babies in the future. But I think that's it. I think I see myself much further along in my career. I see myself. Um, with some some bigger degrees behind my name um and maybe a little family maybe not a one-bedroom apartment with my boyfriend hopefully we'll expand that at some point so <laughs> yes i love it and thank you for just literally everything that you have brought to the table today from comparison to bringing on hard conversations to even now just not assuming that every woman wants to have kids yes. and so i think these are very unfiltered conversations that have to be had and I'm very grateful for the way you integrated them with your stories and from a sorority party to just different stories that you brought forth so thank you again and I loved everything that you talked about. Thank you for having me. I think you know moments like this are really impactful and powerful. I hope not just for your audience, but I think for us as well to be two women who sit down and just have a real honest conversation about what this looks like. Uh, so thank you for, for thinking of me and bringing me onto your platform and onto your podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you a lot for having me. Oh, thank you. So what did you think? Amazing, right? Oh my goodness, this episode was just beautiful and the stories were amazing and the way that she opens conversations in all aspects of her life, including teaching. I loved how she said that she wants to build people and build her students into people who are the future of our nation and who are going to be placed in settings where they need to know how to facilitate hard conversations. And so just the whole mantra of using the voice that you're given is something that I really took away and I hope you enjoyed it as well. So it was an amazing episode and I hope you liked it and I will see you next time. Bye.